150. He's a beautiful kick of the football. And that is an absolute champ. Frosty bangs it inside 50 to the one-on-one that he likes. Johnston couldn't get a run on it. He's still Well, here we are. We've finally arrived at the end of a long, eventful year. And on this very special edition of the Hawk Talk podcast, it's time for one last look at 2020. Before we bury it and never look back, it's shovel ready. My name is Nick Mason, and joining me as always is a man who's done an exceptional job this year. He's been here every step of the way with me. G'day, Tiz. G'day, mate. Just brings to mind images of Jeffrey Kennett chucking soil over the media. I will happily chuck sods over 2020, I reckon. <laughs> and on this very special edition of the Hawk Talk podcast, as we look back at the year that was, we welcome once again Ash Brown. You'd know him from the AFL record, SEN, and the Golden Years podcast, of course. Welcome again, Ash. Hello, gentlemen. Good to be here. Enjoyed your pod all year, and uh, nice to be back to uh, wrap up what a fabulous year it was. Oh, I thought another F word was coming then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's great to have you uh, How has it been that the Golden Years podcast Obviously we're big fans of that too um, I mean what a what a first season I guess you could call it You've had some amazing guests, some amazing tales um, How do you reflect on that? Oh a lot of fun um, uh, When Andrew Weiss approached me the idea I think we talked about this in that crossover But it was uh, better than I imagined it would be In terms of the access to the players And the thing that kept coming through was that as soon as you said to people, even people you think might have an issue with the footy club at some stage, when you said it's for the Hawks, it's like, I'm in. And almost without exception, they, you know, a couple of guys we had to push to get a bit, but people are just really happy to come on and talk about being involved in the club and, and to talk about great games they're involved in, uh, talk about their memories, their mates. So it was a lot of fun. We got through a lot of games. It's tricky because we had this plan that we'd know the fixture and we'd sort of would do one leading into that fixture that who Hawthorne were playing. Given the way that the, the, the debacle the fixture turned out to be, I mean the AFL did a brilliant job in the end, but not knowing who the fixture was going to be one week to the next made it a bit difficult. So in that plan was shelved. But uh, good thing is we've got a lot of uh, good games up our sleeves and quite a few grand finals as well that we haven't got to. So uh, we're already looking forward to next year. 
That's just the Hawthorne way, isn't it? That's our history right there. We could just go on forever. Uh, you've kept busy besides the podcast. Uh, I want to give you a, a, a sort of a preeminent plug of this, uh, the book that you're working on. Uh, we've seen glimpses on on social media, but why don't you just tell us a bit about that? Well, it's, uh, it's come out in March next year. I don't even know what the t- name's going to be. It's uh, basically footy in the time of COVID. Uh, it'll be for Hardy Grant uh, Publishing, and it'll be the inside story of how the AFL uh, how the season was nearly brought to its knees by COVID and how it got going again. So some really good insight from a lot of the key people in the game uh, about what they did in some of the conversations, some of the decisions they had to make, uh, some of the pressure they were under. So really enjoyed writing it. I've got two chapters to finish in the next sort of few days and put it to bed, but it's been a, a, it's been great to write it, given I haven't been sort of full-time on the record this year for, because of various circumstances. So it's been good to have a project to sink my teeth into. It's going to be absolutely fascinating, that read. Uh, of course, we are here to talk about Hawthorne and, and sort of tie a, tie a bow on the season that was. And um, what went right and what went wrong, gentlemen? Uh, <laughs> I think there's a fair bit that we can unpack here. Um, I, I'm going to just save us the trouble and just go straight ahead and say that Will Day went enormously right for Hawthorne. Uh, he's probably my chief positive from the season. I don't know about you guys. What do you reckon? Well, it was a fantastic debut. I mean, five into that first game, I think his debut was against Collingwood. I think five into that first game, he did something. He took on a tackle or rode a bump or something and uh, straight away thought he's, he, he can play. He's, he's got good game awareness and even though he's built like a, a stick. I mean, I was the idiot who put in the um, wrote in the AFL season guide that he won't play this year because he was too thin. And he sort of proved <laughs> me wrong by, <laughs> by playing every game from the time he was picked. I think he might have missed one because of the, they rested him, I think. But... No, a slashing first season, and in, in a year when there wasn't a whole lot to get excited about, uh, he was yeah, he was the he was the feel good factor. I think it gives you faith that they know actually know how to find players, Hawthorne. So that's why you look at the draft now and get it. You know, think they've actually got a really good track record of identifying players. So let's hope that uh, the, the few they found this year uh, can make some sort of impact. I was very impressed with his psychology. He seems totally ready for the AFL. And he's talking about being comfortable at the level already. And uh, it's, he's a very interesting player. I'm, I'm not sure where they should deploy him going forward because uh, he could be great in most spots. Yeah, he's smart. I mean, the thing he told us on our podcast was that he plays, he played shortstop in baseball. Now, shortstop's the thinking person's position because you, you've got to control, you're controlling the defence. If you understand, you've got a, a Thing about if you understand baseball, you stand between second and third base, uh, and he you've got to anticipate the play. That's the way he plays his footy, isn't it? Just uh, seems to know what's going to happen next, where he needs to be, needs to know when he needs to get rid of the footy as well. Has a good feel for when he's under pressure. So, just a, a, a remarkably mature first season. He's got that mastery of time and space uh, akin to Shawnee Burgoyne and Sam Mitchell, where you think he's going to get caught and it just never eventuates. It's quite remarkable. I mean, in, in spite of his slight frame he just never looked uncomfortable out there he just always seemed like he belonged from the moment he took the field and uh never let us down which was remarkable you would think for a first year player you'd have a maybe a dip here or there but I felt he was uh incredibly consistent in his output and it was always a delight to watch him I also want to give a shout out to um Damon Greaves who appeared late he debuted and uh I'm excited about him too yeah he looked promising didn't he but I sort of wonder where he fits in because he plays similarly to about five other players in the team. I think we might have a question about this later on. Where does he fit in? Does he just go ahead of a few who play that sort of similar sort of medium defensive role? But yeah, he just looked very 
mature and comfortable level from, from the start. Now, of course, we're going to oscillate between the positives and the negatives. Uh, I think the chief negative is a fairly obvious one, as much as Will Day was an obvious positive. Um, you can't talk about this season and uh, the, the COVID season that was without looking at Hawthorne and how they adapted to hub life, which is to say, um, apparently they didn't at all. That was certainly the perception from the outside looking in. Uh, Ash, I, I don't know if you have any insight you can shed on this, but we've been scratching our heads for some time. All we know is that hub life effectively torpedoed our season, although that's the way it seemed. I don't know what your opinion is. Oh, here's a deal about hub, hub life. And, you know, it's, it's a bit about this will be in the book, but, you know, there's a bit I can say straight away. So they love New South Wales without winning a game there, but they enjoyed being at Coogee. So that, then they were sort of did their duty and went to Perth and they won the game against Carlton. They didn't mind Perth. But they weren't winning, so the pressure was starting to mount a bit. And even by the time they got to South Australia with five games to go or six games to go, whatever it was, they saw, more or less knew they weren't going to play finals. So they get to South Australia. The club had been hanging out to go to Tasmania, and at that stage, the borders with Tasmania were open. And on August 18, Tasmania closed its borders for good. Uh, it said, well, you, you, no one can come in this year. So Hawthorne's strategy of trying to finish its season with four or five games in Tassie which given their record, they probably would have won most or all of, um, was destroyed. So they, they had a decision to make. Do the, the AFL said to them, they're not convinced this is right, but the AFL said to them, come to Queensland, we've got room for you. There's room at the end for you. But then they looked at their fixture and said, well, five of our last six games are in South Australia. Why do we want to do that and get on a plane? You know, And, and that same day travel, it was, it was hard, the same day travel that they were doing from Queensland to South Australia. Some teams did it well, some didn't. So they decided we're better off staying in South Australia. They go to the Barossa Valley to a, a resort that is a great resort and from all reports, they couldn't have been looked after better. But it was South Australia in late August, early September. So it's cold, it's wet. Um, they're looking... Alistair Clarkson's heating broke down for a few nights. He was sleeping fully clothed in his bed. They were looking at the Instagram photos of all their mates from other teams punting around the Gold Coast with their shorts, with their shorts and the tops off and going to the beach. <laughs> no, but seriously, there was a bit of FOMO going on. Um, and it just it just capped off the year. They, they didn't enjoy it. It was a 40, whereas the teams on the Gold Coast were staying at the Metricon, at the McCure or the Royal Pines, which were like a two-minute walk to the training facilities at Metricon Stadium they played. Hawthorne had a 40-minute bus drive to their training ground and a one-hour bus drive to the Adelaide Oval to play games. So you factor that all in, and it, they didn't quite have the hub experience that um, they that other clubs had. Now they don't they don't want to be seen to be making excuses, and the main thing they'll say on the record is we weren't winning and we 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 played terribly, and that's the overriding thing to come out of the season. It wasn't the hubs; it was how we played, and that's right to a large degree. But I think there was a fair bit of uh, as the, as the losses mounted, they just weren't a happy weren't a happy team at Hawthorne, I guess for. Most of the time, the year just sort of got them in the end. And I think the sort of the, the gamble to try and play in Tassie uh, failed in the end, not through any fault of their own. And that sort of put pay to their season. I think it is worth contextualising all these things. I mean, you can refer to on-field performance, and that's fine. We've been happy to do that all year. But these things don't exist in a vacuum. You've got to look at what's happening around them. And I think there was uh, their time in Coogee, uh, right when they started there, it was a weirdly prophetic photo uh, I'd love to know who took it, but um, it was of Chip and Silk basically standing in a pool uh, near some rocks 
and then the follow-up photo was that particular area being absolutely dunked by waves <laughs> and you couldn't see either of them anymore and it just uh looking back with with 2020 hindsight as it were it's such a bad omen it's <laughs> this season it was just a total wipeout yeah they liked Coogee they, they the combination there was pretty good they had no complaints about being Coogee and it was it was the weather was still okay it was May or but it was June. The weather was still quite good. It was a beach resort. They, they loved it. I think they could stay there all season. They probably would have been happy, but they had to move on and uh, and then couldn't get back in New South Wales. I mean, the, the the laws of who could the rules about which states could go when and for how long were incredible. Um, and they were just unlucky, Hawthorne, in a lot of ways. But it was also explained that uh, the losing probably also helped them understand where the list is at and some decisions that were made from a personal point of view that we might get into. Uh, the hubs helped them make their uh, probably helped steer them in the direction with some of those management decisions. Yeah, because you look at that first month, and we, although you have the Geelong game, we looked fairly good, and the confidence was up going to Sydney, and then GWS and Sydney got us there, and uh, and then of course the Carlton game, although one with a with a stunning highlight, was pretty subpar effort on the whole, and. You're just looking at the list and going, well, where is it really? And we're hearing now, uh, I think Jager was talking to Xavier Ellison saying that the club's pretty confident next year. Maybe that's just what players have to say, I suppose. Well, I was one of the privileged 25 or so who were at the MCG for the uh, both the Brisbane and the Richmond game, and they looked terrific in both matches. And I think they, they, saw, their, they saw themselves as... But the, I think they'd built their team playing the MCG. And they, they destroyed, they played really well against Brisbane and they were so they were far too good for Richmond that night. It was a staggering performance how well they played that night. And I really think they were set up, they set their team up to play at the MCG and I think the, the rug was pulled under them um, afterwards and you have to win. If we can't play to win on the MCG, obviously that's not going to do it for you. But I think there's just a whole lot of little factors that came into play this year and, and being the hubs accentuated all. So I think that's... Uh, sort of sums up what the year was for them. Will they be stronger for it, though? That's the question. Will they be stronger for the, the hardship of having to live together for so long? <laughs> well, the younger players loved it. I mean, across the board, not just Hawthorne, across the, what, 15 teams spent, or 16 teams, whatever it is, spent time in hubs. And the younger players loved it. I mean, it's just like going away with your best mates for 15 <laughs> weeks. The footy trip starts now. <laughs> footy trip. It's, a, it's a, just a footy trip, you know, Um what comes out of it, I think there's, there's great bond. What did I see today that uh, Jack Gunson saying to Connor Downey that oh, you know, all the young guys love each other and they've, built this, they've got a really special thing going. Maybe that's what did come out of being the hubs for that long. Maybe that is sort of building some sort of team spirit for what they're going to need going down the track because really that's, that's the future of the club, isn't it? Those sort of guys now, 18 to 23, 24, that's, that, that's, that's the club now. So maybe some good will come of it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not convinced, but uh, perhaps there's something there. Oh, call me the eternal optimist, but I think maybe something was forged by adversity. I, I think you might be onto something. And I mean, they've had a year to see it get so wrong and, and just be such a misfire that uh, you would hope that that provides some sort of blueprint or a construction for, for 2021. I mean, it, it wasn't all bad. For us fans at home, there were still some feel-good moments. I, I would cite, first of all, um, Jarman Impey returning and uh, getting that goal, I, I just think that was a really lovely moment for him. Yeah, I, I think he just sort of he just 
he got through the season cautiously, I think he'd be, I think, and I think he missed some games again towards the end. So he's, he'll virtually be a recruit for Hawthorne next year. We've got little glimpses of him uh, over the course of the season when he came back. But he, he comes back next year as a fresh player. Yeah, absolutely. And we've also got the, uh, I guess, the chief highlights at the at the tail end of the season, the very final game, the send-offs for Puopolo and Stratton felt like a nice little reward, not only for the group, but for all the fans who have hung in there and they've watched some very hit-and-miss performances. And then you get these feel-good moments of, of their retirements and their respective goals too. And uh, I mean, it just had the echoes of, of Ruffy and the Suns the year before and, and just it was the... The most delightful case of deja vu. Well, it was, but it probably speaks volumes of what a poor year it was. Something like that was the highlight. <laughs> it's true. It's true. As I was watching, I think he listened. This is, uh, you know, five years ago, Hawthorne supporters were gearing up for the finals. You know, can we win three flags in a row? And suddenly the highlight of the season is Ben Stratt kicking second goal. So it's <laughs> sort of, it's almost an unHawthorne like, isn't it, to, uh, to be excited about such small things? Yeah, as great a moment as it was, and Poppy turning the clock back with some with some great goals. But it was, all a bit, it was a bit sad as well, wasn't it? Yeah, look, I'm inclined <laughs> to agree. There was a, a whiff of desperation about it when that's the thing to hold on to. But you know what? Knowing what this year entailed and what it, it, the pressure it put on the club and the players, the staff cuts and all that, for, I just think it was just something to cling on to. It, it was nice. I relished it being like, okay, well, it wasn't all terrible we get we get a nice little treat at the end you know i would have liked a closer result to be honest just to uh finish a little bit lower maybe just below sydney would have been great. <laughs> now uh off that i want to ask uh ash i don't know if you have any mail on this but we were theorizing on our last podcast uh that hawthorne might have in fact been right into logan mcdonald and the plan was uh to try and leapfrog sydney and that's where all the whispers were coming from. It, but it never materialised, and so we missed out. Do Do you have any notes on that, or am I just shooting shooting the breeze? Oh, I think they like him, but I think they were. I think they did their homework, and would have been happy with any of the top four or five players had they come through. The one I thought they, I mean, more reports they loved Will Phillips, but I, he was the one player I couldn't quite see where he you know, fit into the team. He just seemed to be a bit like what they already have. But as I told the, the Golden News boys and was very proud to put this on Twitter. I, I, I identified Granger Barris six, eight weeks ago. He was so clearly the player they need and the fact that it, it felt that they were able to get him was, was an outstanding it was an outstanding work by the club. They, oh, they didn't do it. it was, the cards dropped that way, but it's a great outcome for the club to get him because he was far and away. If you're drafting for need rather than having the sexy pick this year, drafting for need he was clearly the player they need more than anything else. So I'm not sure. McDonald, you know, he's a great player. Bar- he, uh, Granger Barris beat, touched him up a couple of times. That's good to, good to take into uh, the future when the Hawks play the Swans. But um, I think they would love McDonald, but I think they're really happy with the player they've got. Uh, the old DGB could yet be the sexy pick. I mean, you know, some people are into that. Some people like Rangers. <laughs> Uh, we need to talk about also, I think this is a nice, uh, a bright spot of the year that, that sort of came post-season, of course, but the appointment of an all-female uh, VFLW coaching panel, which is a league first, and I'm very happy that Hawthorne are trailblazers in that area. Yeah, it was a great, uh, great appoint- series of appointments by the club. I mean, it's just, I put this on Twitter, and I, I don't know what people, uh, what, what you guys think. I suspect you probably agree with me, but at some stage, the AFL is actively discriminating against the four clubs that don't have AFLW licences. 
Because it's basically taking four clubs. You can't go to the spot. You can't go to the market with a full offering for potential sponsors. And that's an over. The longer it goes on, the more the AFL sanctioning an uneven playing field. At a time when the economies are tight and it's hard to get sponsorship dollars, four clubs are starting with the hands tied behind their back because they don't have AFLW teams. And Hawthorne, whose program is probably better than I would reckon. I'll give you a tip now. They might be the greatest club on the field in the men's competition, but Richmond's AFLW team and their program in general is terrible. As a BFW program, Hawthorne puts them to shame. So hopefully, the club is, likes to talk as if it's a fait accompli. I don't have the same degree of confidence that'll happen in 2022, but it really should happen in the next two years. I feel like every move that they make in that sort of area is almost like goading the AFL. Like, you, you want to keep on ignoring us? Because we're just going to keep on being awesome. We're going to keep on doing our thing, and it's more for you if you don't want to expedite this. That, that's how I feel, anyway. Yeah, I think there might be a couple of clubs that don't want them there because I know they'll be quite good. They'll, they'll build a very good program very quickly. So the longer they stay out, the better it is for them. But uh, they'll be very competitive from day one when they get in. But, uh, yeah, Beck Goddard is a, you know, the club for, they're very lucky to have her. And um, let's hope she's already locked, locked and loaded as the first AFLW coach when they get the license. Absolutely. That um, that announcement sort of came in this void of like between the uh, the trade period and the draft. So not not much at all really is happening in footy around then. And then that comes along, I hear Beck talk about the team and I was like, yes, like, come on, footy, bring it on. Like, I just got so excited again in what was essentially a lull. Um, and, and I think she's a terrifically charismatic person that just the enthusiasm is infectious and that makes me really excited for the for the future of our uh, vflw team and indeed the aflw team when it happens um now look we're yo-yoing between positives and negatives here but uh we need to talk about probably the worst injury that hawthorne sustained and and how that flows into 2021 james sicily going down with an acl chasing a kick that, did, uh, that didn't hit a target late in the game they were well behind and innocuously, someone runs into his knee and, and wipes him out for 12 months. That was uh, that was ultra depressing. I think, yeah, that was uh, one of the sad sights of the season. I think uh, when that happened, that was probably when I suspect a lot of Hawthorne supporters probably put a fork in it for the year and said, well, that's it, we're done. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> that was the uh, the feeling of it online, at least. And you can't you can't really blame people. Like I understand it was a very depressing moment in, in what was already, to that point, a very rough year for Hawks fans. So... That was a difficult one. Um, but of course, we went on to our trade and draft periods, and I think we made a lot of strides to, to sort of cover Sicily's absence for 2021, don't you think? Well, I think Hardigan is a, was a, a good pick to come in. Um, you know, if he's half as good as um, Henderson was, you know, as a sort of a offcut from Adelaide, he'll be, he'll, he'll be serviceable. I think he's just there as a bit of a placeholder for a couple of years uh, to fortify the back line a bit. You know, he, he'll be the big body, the big gorilla that. They claim he still needs, so I think he, he'll be okay. Phillips was a great pickup. I mean, and Riley played it beautifully because um, he played hardball with Collingwood and uh, left it too late. Um, and my understanding is, I think Phillips, um, North, your, your, your mates at North Melbourne, uh, Nick tried to make a play for him, and then he actually said, "No, if I'm leaving, if I'm leaving Collingwood, I'm not going to, uh, not going to North." <laughs> so I think it was a good outcome for Hawthorne. It's an Isaac Smith uh, replacement, about seven or eight years younger. If he plays, I mean, my understanding was that Collingwood has played out of position a bit in um, 2020. Might have been playing not on not as a true wingman, but I think if Hawthorne utilised him, playing to his strength, which is as a hard-running wingman, he'll be okay. Yeah, he was pretty frustrated with his role at Collingwood. 
But it it made me question um, the role of Hartley because I thought he came in and did quite well. He had played what, one game or two games? couple, yeah. And then Frawley, they just let him go to St Kilda, but they brought him back in the team at the at the cost of Hartley and it's it's a strange conundrum. They obviously don't have Hartley for long and DGB now is the heir apparent. At a time as well, that move was made when the season was effectively done and dusted for Hawthorne. Like, we're not really playing for anything. If, if anything, you're playing with an eye on where you're going to sit in the draft order. So that substitution does strike strike me as a bit strange as well. I'm a bit surprised we didn't see more of Hartley. I'm not I'm not disappointed with the Frawley. He's, he was a great player for Hawthorne, but I mean, I wasn't disappointed that, he, that they, they moved him on. I think, you know, he probably felt... I think he, look, I'm pretty sure he thought he could go one more season, but look, the salary cap thing chopped and I suspect it was, it was a dull thing or they said well if you want to pay one more year this is what we'll pay you and he probably thought it was not worth my while for that amount of money but then to kill knocks on the door and says come and play for a team that might win a premiership and it's a no-brainer for him really but yeah I'd like to see more of Hartley I, was, I thought that was one of the more puzzling I don't get too riled up over selection like some but I um, I was a bit puzzled that they didn't, we didn't see more of him I want to talk about off-field performance uh, I think certainly on the Hawk Talk podcast this is probably an area of uh, butt hurtsness, I guess you could say, for me more than tears. I thought that Clarkson needed to rein it in at a certain point, and he kept on making missteps. He got better as, as the season went on, but it wasn't just him. I, I felt it was Kennett as well, and I just got pretty frequently frustrated with uh, what I've called own goals o- over the journey this year. But I, how did you guys see? Because that's certainly something I grappled with. Yeah, I thought Clarko overstepped it a couple of times. I mean, the Papley thing was unnecessary, certainly. Threw a span of the whole competition with his t- remarks about holding the ball. The umpires then took on board and over overreacted to for a while. So that uh, endeared into a lot of people. I think he was just frustrated like a lot of Hawthorne people were. You know, just he had some good plans for this year and they all uh, they all came to naught. So I think that was the frustrating part. Kennel was interesting. I mean, he was part of this Corona cabinet, so clearly his opinion is val- valued and important by people in the AFL. He's you know, one of the people who was architects of a lot of the AFL big decisions that were made sort of back in March and April as the competition was in a bit of trouble. Um, but my feeling with Kennet, I don't know what you guys think, is I think he had someone in mind to take over as president this year, and that person may have pulled out. Oh, right. Okay. Maybe because of COVID, you know, they had their own issues that they had to deal with all of a sudden. So he thought, well, I better do three more years. I don't think he wants to hand over to someone he doesn't think is the right person. He'd rather do it himself. Um, but he may look. He didn't. He didn't go to the footy this year. He didn't travel. He may have actually. He was a bit tired. I think in 2019 he showed signs he'd had enough. But maybe not being at the footy this year has given him a bit of a spark and uh, wants to go again. The stuff with um, the stuff with Dingley was disappointing. I think for the footy club. I'm not overly perturbed about it. I know a lot of Hawthorne supporters are really outraged that he might have cost them some state government money. This will be worked out between Justin Rees and Martin Bacula. So Martin Bacula is a local member at some stage before the next state election, which is like 2022, guys. There'll be some money for Hawthorne, and it'll be quite, it'll be a quite arranged reach between Bacula and Reeves. So I wouldn't be too worried about that. And that'll be the, the missing few million dollars they need to build... Uh, what will be a fantastic facility. Yeah, Tiz is all smiles right now on the call, I'll have <laughs> listeners know. Yeah, well, I can't wait for it to be built. I, I just, do you have any concerns about moving the home of Hawthorne 
Uh, it's reasonably quick. I mean, we've moved a long way in 30 years. Concerns about moving away from Waverley. Well, I mean, Glen Ferry to Waverley and now out to Dingley. No, I don't think so. I think it's. Uh, I think Waverley was a fantastic deal for the club, but they really have outgrown it. There's not much more they can do there. They really are hanging. They're, they're, I mean, they're, look, they're going to lose 30% of their staff now because of the COVID cuts. But before then, they were hanging out every nook and cranny. They'd milked every single bit of that facility, the space. They need, they need space to grow. You need to run. If you're going to run three or four footy teams, which is what AFL clubs are doing now, you need two ovals or you need a lot more space. So I think it'll be it'll be a very good facility, I think. Um, and, as, and the latest one, the last one built for is the best one. So once it's opened, it'll be the best one for a while. And what happens to the uh, 100 years for 100 cents deal? What was that? <laughs> which one's that? Dicker got them to sign, you know, that we had Waverley for 100 years for a buck but because it had to have a monetary value. To hold it, hold them to it. Oh, someone, someone will pick it up. Uh, an AFL, uh, AFL Victoria will use it as a regional loft or something like that. It'll stay, it'll stay in footy somehow, I think. It, and it'll be always be a footy ground. And Hawthorne may, and they may do the training session there just to to, to keep it local. But uh, they they do need to they do need to move on. They they they've just about run out of space in the resource at uh, at uh, Waverley. Expand the cafe. Move well beyond the Luke Hodge smoothie. I want a big Hawthorne Legends bar. I want a cocktail named after every Hawthorne legend there's ever been. Well, the, the cafe will suffer because I think the Hawthorne clientele is about 30% of their business. Any time of the day you go there, there's Hawthorne people and they're doing this, that and the other. So hopefully they'll get the first crack at the uh, at, the, at the cafe at uh, at Dingley. And AFL players being very exacting when it comes to their coffees. I want to be good. <laughs> Draft him. Draft him, Hawthorne. Get him back in the side. Relist them. Do a Dylan Moore. Yeah, he's pretty lucky, don't you think? Dylan Moore, one one game in, kept on the list. Took his chance. Well, he, how many people would get a Brownlow vote and then get moved onto the rookie list straight afterwards? <laughs> well, this is true. <laughs> of course, he could be playing uh, plenty of footy under Sam Mitchell, who was appointed senior coach of Box Hill, which is one of the bright points of the off-season to date. And uh, Andy Collins back in the fold as well. I don't know about you guys, but I felt really good seeing this stuff. Well, there's two things to look at the Mitchell. Uh, th- firstly, it just smacks of the guy who's going to be the next, it's the next considered move of the person who's going to be a senior coach. And, more than likely the next senior coach of Hawthorne. And he's now going to coach the players coming to the club that he could well be the AFL coach of in two, three, four years' time. So it's just a really smart move. He's got such a deliberate plan, Sam Mitchell, that he's been crafting for years about his pathway to coaching. And this is just the next step. And he's he's not going to fall into any of the mistakes that the three the celebrated trio of Buckley, Heard and Boss made. He's not going to make any of those mistakes. So he's just going back a really smart way. And the video that the Box Hill put up of his first team meeting was terrific. And if you haven't seen that as a Hawthorne supporter, I'd recommend you watch it because you'd uh, you'd only be really impressed and, and a little bit excited about what sort of coach he's going to be. And of course, Shawnee Burgoyne's going to be kicking on. He re-signed uh, for what is surely his final year. Although you just never know, do you? He could kick on yet. Smart by Hawthorne. They've, the soft cap's come down and... Um, can have fewer coaches, but effectively he'll be a playing coach, and I think it'll be a fair bit of coaching as part of it. I think Andy Collins comes into the same boat as well, that he's not going to be part of the AFL soft cap, but he'll do a fair bit of coaching that'll impact the entire footy club. So a couple of smart moves there by the Hawks. Once you've got, I think, 11 games to go, something like that, 12 games to go to get to 400. Hopefully, excuse me, with the floating fixture that the AFL's bringing in, that um, Hawthorne and the AFL can negotiate that he plays his 400th game 
nice, ideally on a Friday night or Saturday afternoon at the MCG and not at a four o'clock on a Sunday at um, Marvel Stadium against uh, Gold Coast or something like that. So over to you, Hawthorne. Try not to rock the boat too much, Jeff. Oh, can we somehow please have it on Mother's Day as well? That'd be awesome. <laughs> When's Mother's Day? Oh, dear. No, I, that's something I'm very much looking forward to. That's a massive milestone, and uh, it's going to be a chief highlight of 2021, regardless of how the team's doing. That is something to look forward to. Um, just to put it, a pin in uh, what went right and what went wrong this year, I think it is worth just celebrating the fact that the club is holding strong after a tough year, that we're here on the other side of it, and I think there's still a lot that there is to look forward to. I mean, we just mentioned Burgoyne as one, but uh, I don't know. I'm really excited about 2021. I think the club's in good shape. I don't know if that's the impression that you guys have. Yeah, I think the club's in really good shape. I think they're better. They will be better this year. They'll be better in 2021 than 2020. I mean, they'll win. I've got to pick eight wins without even trying. They'll win five out of nine at the MCG because that's what they do. They'll win three out of four in Tassie. That's eight to start with. And then if they can squeeze another four wins in out of that, they can find four more wins there in the finals race. So I don't go into it with uh, the complete pessimism. They've got a bit of work to do, and there's clearly some holes. But I think they will rebound. I don't, I don't think they're as bad as their record shows, but I'm not kidding myself to think they're a sneaky chance for the flag or probably even going to play finals. But uh, I do think there's a bit to look forward to in going for you next year. And I think that no one's been able to go for a year anyway. It'll be great excitement, the first Hawthorne home game next year, whenever it is. And um, It'll be it'll be a better year. I think, I think the club's in a pretty good place. Tiz, what about yourself? Where do you have the club at the moment? You liking the look of them? Oh, I think twenty twenty was the aberration. If you're not allowed to train, you can't get the game plans that Clarko wants, and you're just not going to get the wins that Clarko's efforts deserve. So, twenty twenty one should, if we have our training regime back, be far better. Yeah, you've always been cautious, haven't you? Cautious operator in in just trying to look at twenty twenty as uh, how much can we actually read into this, which I think is smart. That's that's always been a fair enough approach. Yeah, and you know me, eternally optimistic. That's me all told. <laughs> You're a happy go lucky scam. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now let's play some favourites, guys. Uh, I want to talk about some of your favourite things that have happened this season. Uh, starting with, of course, your favourite Hawthorne win. Now I know there were few and far between. There weren't too many of them, but uh, which one was your favourite, guys? I thought the Richmond was was the best win of the year. It gets forgotten a bit because it was played in a vacuum, but uh, it was a, as one of the twenty five people who were there. It was a terrific win. They played really well that night. Did you cheer loudly, Ash? Or well, I was in the press box. You still can't cheer in the press box even when there's 25 people there. But uh, they still kept you in the press box. You were allowed outside. God forbid you should spread the germs outside. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was the press box experience was really. I mean, the AFL did a super job. Pick back in then, they, no one had half a clue what was going on. But uh, we all kept our distance, and uh, it sort of it sort of worked. But um, yeah, very strange. That's my favourite win too, Nick. Is that yours? I think my favourite was Carlton. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, no, I mean, let, let's be clear. I had a soft spot for the Brisbane win, the, the opening round, um, just because I remember being happy. <laughs> I remember a time where the season looked so good and so promising. Even on that day, it looked like, okay, no, I think the whole competition's about to shut down. And at half time, we knew that was the case. I was still excited. I was still a, a naive young thing about Hawthorne. But besides that, no, I have really good memories of the Carlton game. Um, because the first quarter, honestly, was some of the worst footy we played all year. <laughs> So to just instantly have that erased and to just not have to think about that ever again, 
uh, I quite enjoyed it. I mean, you had some good Sam Frost highlights, uh, Will Day's first goal, Jarman Impey. Uh, there was just a, a lot that I have a fondness for, and that was my favourite win. That probably included your favourite goal too, did it? <laughs> Will Day is certainly in contention. Uh, it was hard for me to go past Stratton. I know we've already talked about it, but it gave me the warm and fuzzies. It just felt good. And uh, I, I think... Yeah, as I said, it, it capped off a, a pretty underwhelming year and, and we just had a, a little something to celebrate and cling on to and I valued that. Uh, what about you guys? What was your favourite goal? Uh, the World Day goal for me was it just, I mean, it takes a lot for me to jump out of my seat watching a game of footy, but I actually jumped out of my seat <laughs> when he kicked that goal. It was, it was a fabulous, because the, the audacity of it is what I liked the most. I mean, what's he doing? I mean, <laughs> you know, was he going to amble the Swift? What was he trying to do? Then the block and then... I might as well go for it. And he actually, as he said, he said a few times, he absolutely flushed it. Just so exciting. Now I have a new goal for 2021, guys. It's uh, me and you, Tiz, and Ash are at the footy together. I want to see Ash cut sick. I want to see him <laughs> really let loose with a big celebration after a goal. Straight out the seat. Yeah, yeah. straight out of the seat. That's going to happen. Uh, what about you, Tiz? What was your favourite goal? No, that's the, that's the one I'm going to remember. Yeah, it's true. It's certainly one of the more memorable goals. Uh, and that's going to be the highlight we cling on to. Is like, you know, Will Day had already played some quality footy to that point, but it felt like in that moment... It just felt special, like he arrived. It was so good. Special mention to Gunston. There was a couple of really good goals from him too. <laughs> Being our leading goal kicker and equal third in the comp. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that probably leads us to who is your most underrated Hawk? I feel for quite a bit of the season, I underrated Gunston severely. And uh, I'd lump Bruce into that category as well. It, it sort of became obvious when we were missing him. And I thought Sam Frost performed very admirably in his first season for the club. But what about you guys? Gunson was, had a stinkly good year. I mean, a, wreck, a terrible year for the club. I mean, he was. Uh, if, you, if you measure his stats against Liam Ryan just quietly, he had a better year than Liam Ryan who made the All-Australian team. Yeah, right. So Gunson was a bit uh, stiff not to be All-Australian, really. By those stats, it's not spectacular, obviously, Ryan. I thought Frost I thought Frost was a terrific pick-up Hawthorne, and uh, I thought he was almost the underrated Hawk for the year. It's, it's because he just slotted in so seamlessly. It just seemed to work, and it made me think that, yeah, that was a really quality pickup. Tiz, I, I don't think I know off the top of my head who your uh, most underrated hawk is. Oh, I think the most underrated from the fans is Cousins. Yeah, right. I think he came in and played quite well. That's true, yep. I'm not sure about his future, because it doesn't seem to be an obvious spot in the lineup for him, but they've given him a long, longer contract than most, and uh, he's they've certainly given him opportunity there. And Jones comes off the list, who is the... The only bloke that was putting his hand up for the spot as well, I suppose. Yeah, no, it was his rival for a time there. Uh, what about the most enjoyable Hawk to watch? Uh, I, I feel like this has to be unanimous, right? But I'm, I'm open to suggestions, but I mean, my vote is cast for Will Day. I'm going to go left field here. His worst was ordinary, but when he played well, we saw a bit of the Chad. Oh, yes. The, the Chad that was such a good player to watch at Port Adelaide. We, we didn't see quite enough of it, but he did finish third and best in the first shot, which I found very interesting. But I thought, as uh, much as we enjoyed, we spoke about Will Day, it's just a probably different name. I thought there were, there were times, when, when the Chad was switched on, he was a pleasure to watch. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, when I was considering some of my favourite goals, I, I remembered back to our game against North Melbourne and how uh, Wingar was involved in quite a few chains there. So that was my lasting memory of his season. Uh, yeah, he's he's yet to fully bring it. But he, he's a threat, isn't he? Like, when he finally explodes, it's going to be something special. I think we saw, as you said, as you said a bit of it this year, and it was very exciting. But again, he's, I mean, he's a bit 
best footy might be the midfield. I mean, where's his best position? I'd have to put up Ben McAvoy. I enjoyed watching him the most. <laughs> oh, come on. Genuinely enjoyable. Like, uh, I, I watched the footy just to see what Clarko was going to do with Ben next. <laughs> When it worked, it was a masterstroke. Exactly. It's just that it didn't always work. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic! Uh, and what was your what was your guys' most enjoyable highlight of the year? I, I've nominated already the Stratton goal. We've talked about that ad nauseum at this point. But uh, what about you guys? Second quarter v Carlton. Yeah, <laughs> the Blitz. Best football I've played for years. I enjoyed uh, Poppy's uh, little heart to the to the empty stadium. Yes. Yeah, I thought about that one as well. Yeah. Been a fan of Poppy for a long time. Stood by him when a lot of the fans wanted him out of the side. <laughs> that was for me, that heart. <laughs> Not for his family, it was for Tiz, you hear? <laughs> uh, it's time to bring out the crystal ball and look ahead. G'day listeners, it's your old pal Nick here. Just a quick interruption, I do need to point out that we hit record on this episode prior to the announcement that Jack Gunston's going to be sidelined for up to five months recovering from back surgery and therefore missing a little bit of the season. I pointed out because uh, the next little bit of the podcast is very prediction heavy and I dare say a few of our predictions might have been just a smidge different if we knew that uh, our best and fairest winner would be missing a chunk of the season. So anyway, with all that in mind, on with the show. A big question at this point, you know, we've spoken of Stratton, uh, the captaincy is up for grabs, so who succeeds Ben Stratton as the Hawthorne captain? Now, my vote's got to go to Gunston, and when he uh, hangs out with Clarker and visits Connor Downey, it seems to be headed that way. They've all got flaws of candidates for captain, I think, Hawthorne in uh, 2021, which is the issue. Yeah, the Gunston video today was interesting. He wanted, he would, he would have had the job two years ago, but he didn't put his hand up for it. And Stratton was about the third choice, and people... Didn't really get out much, but really there were Liam Shields and Gunson both knocked the job back. So they sort of, it, it fell to Stratton, I think. I don't think he desperately wanted to do the job either. Um, so I would say it's out of Gunson, O'Meara, and Tom Mitchell would be the three. Uh, the ball got, I mean, Mitchell, I think, would be a better player without the captaincy. I just think he just, he just needs to be, he just needs to be the accumulator and use the ball a bit better than he. Uh, than he did this year when he's his first year back from injury. Amira is injury prone, still a little bit. He you know, just misses too many games. And often you, when you really need him in the team, it's the week he misses. And Gunnison had the chance once before and didn't do it. And I don't know what you guys think. There's a theory about supporters that uh, they should make, they should move beyond a three-peat player and, and give it to a next-gen next player who hasn't played in the Premiership side, and, and, which really marks a, another milestone for the football club. It's interesting. I haven't interpreted it in that way before. That is, um, that would be a curious move, and I don't mind the philosophy behind it. I mean, we are. It seems that we're embarking on a new era, um, selecting a guy who's younger and that hasn't had that uh, storied success. That might be a signifier of what exactly we're doing. It might be just marking that this is a new chapter and fully committing to that in in that way too. Um, Tiz, who's your nomination for captain? I hope it's Gunston. I don't think they need to move on from the three-peaters yet. I don't know. I, I think he had an excellent year, led from the front, did his best, and, and led by example. I'm not sure of his relationship with a lot of the younger players, and I think that's something to be concerned about because there seems to be quite a differential between the success and, and the uh, expectations on some of the young kids. Yeah, this is something you mentioned before, Tiz, the, the idea that um, the, the demographics need to gel properly. 
to to shore up our next uh, charger success. You, you think there needs to be some good synchronicity, is that right? Well, I need to throw a few of them into the leadership group if they deserve it, I think. Mm. Um, we, we know Clarko isn't the most approachable fella, so there needs to be some kind of way for them to get their messages through. Now, who's a lock to debut in 2021? We've got a few candidates here, even a couple that we just drafted. But I want to hear you guys uh, and your takes on who we can expect in terms of fresh faces for the Hawthorne Football Club. I think Granger Barris just about plays round one. Yeah, right. Um, he's been playing in the waffles. He played senior footy. It's different if they've come from the WA Colts or the NAB League, or whatever it is, or the Sample Colts. He's been playing waffle seniors. So it should, again, men. So it shouldn't be too much of a progression. He'll play for sure, um, and I think Danny will get in the second half of the season. I imagine Danny will get will get some uh, will get some regular senior footy as well. Yeah, they held back McGuinness for a lot of the season. That was a strange one, I thought. He had a bit of work to do, McGuinness. I don't think he. Uh, this is my gut. This is my hot take out of this. I'm not as convinced they love McGuinness as much as supporters do. That is blasphemy on the Hawk Talk podcast. <laughs> I want to thank you for joining us, Ash Brown. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's um, I, I'm not shocked that that is uh, that that's your theory because that there seems to be something to that. Like we had to hold on for a long time, and it gets to a certain point in the season where you're like, you know, maybe there is something to this. Yeah, he'll play more this year, but he'll play more in 2021. But I think he, I think he, yeah, he's a he's an athletic beast. But I think it took him a while to play the way they wanted him to play, and that's probably what held him back. Now, I was going to say Tom Phillips because I want to get one prediction right. He will definitely debut. <laughs> but what do, you, <laughs> what do you think of the Tom, Tom, Tom across the field? That's an interesting little thing now. Yeah, it'll happen, the Tom, Tom, Tom. That'll happen for sure at some stage, I think. Now, which player takes the next step? I think... Um, Is it going to be Mitchell Lewis, Nick? Well, I hope it's Mitchell Lewis. This year? <laughs> I hoped it was Mitchell Lewis this year, but uh, no, I was waiting a long time for that and never really materialised. Is it Timmy? <laughs> yeah, it's Tim O'Brien. He's finally arrived at his ninth year at the club. Brilliant. Um, no, I'm going to back uh, Damon Greaves in here. I reckon he'll follow it up from the glimpses he had this year. Um, I expect good things with him. And, and as well, since we mentioned him, uh, Finn McGuinness as well. Um, and that that one is a shot in the dark, really. I, I I have less confidence in that, but I guess fingers crossed, eh? Yeah, I think Greaves, Greaves looks like a player. I think he'll he'll be a, he'll, he'll become a good player for Hawthorne in 2021. I reckon one of the biggest beneficiaries next year will be Warple. Mm. They're going to put a lot more pressure on him, and I think he'll blossom again. Can they get the midfield worked out? I'm not sure they quite got the mix right in the midfield. Warple v. You know, Warple, Mitchell, O'Meara, putting them all in at different times. At the same time, I don't think they quite got the mix right. I'd like to see with another summer to work it out how they plan to utilise Warple and Mitchell because they're too similar in a lot of ways. And it made Segler look bad too. Oh, the, the whole unit was um, just greatly disadvantaged by being a bit one-note. Um, the fact is, like they kept on answering the same question, like, what are we going to do this time at the stoppage? And they only had one answer, it seems like, every single time. And uh, it got found out. I felt, this is something we mentioned on recent podcasts, that regardless of the quality of the opposition, uh, it just seemed like they would explode away from the middle and just put it down someone's throat. And we, had, we were powerless to do anything about it. That, that happened alarmingly uh, frequently for my liking. So, yeah, the midfield mix continues to be a bit of a worry. But seeing as we're talking about needing a bit of, uh, a bit of X factor, something a little different... 
Which player do you reckon will be the surprise packet in 2021? That is a good question. Surprise packet, they're all a bit... There's no real X-factor at Hawthorne at the moment. So um, that is a slight worry. But the player I like the look of of the draftees is Brockman. Yes, yeah, for sure. Now, I don't think he's going to be coming and be the surprise packet and play 15 games, but I'm intrigued to see him play. I think he's the one player... For, you know, I've seen that Downey video on loop over and over and the same for Granger Barris, but... Uh, Watching the other the, the other draftees, uh, their vision now once they came to the club, I'm really intrigued to see what they can do with Brockman, and just how they utilise it. Because if he, if if he can the sort of footy he plays, if that translates to AFL level, there is a spot beside for him. Tyler, Seamus, Jack, you got the need for speed addressed there. Um, you know, I think you're right in saying that Hawthorne is not a team that's particularly flush with X Factor. We're not very flashy at this point in time, but. That could change. I feel like there are seeds that have been sown that could uh, see a change in that regard. Um, something you said before, Ash, uh, tipping that um, Impey will be better for everything and he'll come back next year. I wholeheartedly agree with that. He's my surprise back for next year. I think he'll bounce back into excellent form. I'm hoping for Josh Morris to kick on. I think they picked him a couple of times and uh, he just needs to find a bit of something. He needs to uh, live up to the hair that he's got going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who's on the chopping block? Where do you start? <laughs> <laughs> Where do we start? <laughs> Look, I'm going to nominate probably the most obvious one just to get it off the table. Uh, it's got to be Tim O'Brien, hasn't it? I mean, he's in the final year of his contract. Uh, it's going to take something special, right? It's going to have to be a massive year from Tim O'Brien to stay on this list. Um, or miraculously, he stays on the list anyway, at which, at which point I'd be furious with Hawthorne. I don't know what they'd be thinking if he turns in a similar year that he did to this year. Uh, it's got to be the back end of 2019. That's that's the form that he's got to somehow bottle and find again. Uh, I'd be happy with that. That's the standard that he himself has set, and it's the one that he needs to meet. Otherwise, I think he might be gone from the club. Yeah, I think that's the obvious one, isn't there? But there's a few people... Um that need a big year at the footy club. I mean, Harry Morrison will need a big year. Ollie Hanrahan will need a big year. Um, Dylan Moore needs a very big year. So there's quite a few. Um, even Dan Howe, I think they all need a big year. They won't all be, that group won't all be at the footy club in 2021. I think some of the guys that have drafted might even take some of their spots. So there's a few players who really need to uh, play pretty well, I think, this year. That, that won't be around. They won't be off the contracts uh, going forward. I mean, hell, I, I believe off the top of my head that he's safe, but um, even so, I think John Patton needs to uh, reverse everything that happened this year. He was struck down by just the worst injury curse, but um, he's got to seize his chance next year, John Patton. Otherwise, he'll be eclipsed. We'll, we'll try other options, I'm guessing. Yeah, and I, again, I don't play its great store in a lot of these things, but I was a bit disappointed not to see Patton training when a lot of the other guys have come back. I wanted to see Patton out there day one, uh, you know, guns blazing and uh, showing he's ready to play. I was slightly surprised that he uh, that he wasn't one of these guys who came back early because he's got so much to prove. You know, the club placed a fair bit of faith in him and he, uh, you know, some of it self-inflicted. We don't really miss games because he spilt bloody oil on his foot cooking some salmon. So I think he owes Hawthorne a little bit, Patton. And, uh, yeah, I'll, the those who... Uh, I know there's uh, that guy, Axeman, who posts on Big Footy, the regular trail. I'm looking forward to seeing his reports. Uh, I want to see that. I want him talking up John Patton when I start reading his reports in January because uh, he's the one. 
Now, Tiz, I know you you don't like this question and you want to wriggle out of it, but I'm not going to let you. Who's on the chopping block, mate? Oh, it's all those blokes who were recruited in the last four years that haven't cemented a spot in the side now. Um, that's it. Uh, they know. They're well aware that they're, they're down. And the, and the problem will be for them, if we don't get some early wins, they'll just be looked past. Yeah. Uh, you just don't bother selecting them because they can't get it done. All right. Uh, and here's the big question. Where do we reckon Hawthorne's going to finish next year? They'll do my ladder, but I would have them 10 to 12. <laughs> Tiz isn't happy with that one, but I'm perfectly happy with it. Uh, I've held to this line for for a while now, for a couple of months. Uh, I reckon 12th. I reckon 12th. uh, Probably with room to go a little bit higher, but not much higher if we do. Um, I don't think we'll be bottom four, put it that way. But I don't have us going much higher either. So that's how I feel. Uh, Maybe my tune will change once we start getting into the the preseason stuff, but that's where it is right now. Tiz... You have a difference of opinion here to both of us. Well, I think if the AFL's truthful with their more games at the G to make up for what was missed last year and we're getting our games at Tassie, we should be able to make at least looking like finals with about four rounds to go. So we'll probably drop away at the end, but ninth and around about there. Let me tell you one thing about Hawthorne that I didn't mention earlier, that they had about three games in a row I think it was when they were playing the games in Sydney. They had three games in a row where they lost their key forward in the first quarter. Oh, yes. That had struggled them as well. So they had some they, – they didn't have a – I mean, I know there some teams that had really wretched injury runs, but they didn't have a brilliant year on the injury front either, Hawthorne, at one stage. They just need – if Mitch Lewis and John Patton, whoever is their designated key forward for the game, can actually get through a game, give them something to kick to, they're going to be better. They have to be better. They've also changed a lot of the line coaches too. Moved them on and got some new information inside the club. McRae's there now. and McRae's going to be a huge get. and He's the forward line coach, and he was the forward line coach at Richmond and rave reviews about it. And uh, I think Hardwick did a solid for his uh, mate Clarko when he, when he couldn't keep him and, and sent him over to Hawthorne. I think he'd be a great pickup. And, uh, they, need, they need fresh face. There are too many guys who want who just missed out on being coaches themselves. And I think uh, a bit of fresh blood now. Uh, will be good for the coaching staff too. Finally, some good IP comes our way. Uh, as we move into miscellaneous listener questions, uh, we're going to blitz through these. There's a fair few of them, and we thank the listeners for getting in touch. Hit us up at Hawk Talk Pod, every single one of them. Uh, we heard from Jacob. Internally, where do you think the club sees itself finishing next year? Following on nicely from uh, our last topic, something tells me they're bullish on making finals, and personally, I think our list is capable of that if we're to play to our full potential, unlike what happened this year. What are your thoughts on uh, Jacob's take here, guys? I think, I think they'll be better than they were in 2020. All sorts of the factors we've discussed before won't come into play. But Hawthorne doesn't really – it's not really – they don't care about just making the finals, Hawthorne. It's never been their go. They only want to make the finals if they've got a serious chance of playing deep into the finals. So I don't think they'd be particularly care. To Hawthorne, to finish seventh or eighth and lose first week of the finals, not much different to finishing 10th or 11th and developing players. So I think supports need to bear that in mind. Hawthorne always like to play the medium to long game. I think the messaging coming out of the club is positive, and I believe it. I believe they think they can improve on this year, and they, they see it as, uh, well, we we referred, we referred to it before as an aberration. Um, I think they can do better, and they believe they can do better. Just how well, uh, well, how long's a piece of string? But, Tiz, what do you reckon? I think Clarko's aim is always finals, and uh, he really values getting the players' finals um, 
experience, doesn't he? I mean, he's put Connor Nash in for two finals now, so obviously he's keeping him on the list in long term. And I was pleased to note that he wasn't mentioned with the chopping block earlier. That was good. <laughs> uh, now, Tiz, uh, this question was directed at me. Uh, so I'll let you play the part of our listener, Sean, who hit us up at Hawk Talk Pod. Away you go. Is the list build strategy of the club clear to you now that the trading period and the draft are complete? And if so, can you please enlighten me? <laughs> this is a follow-up question. Sean has hit us up before, and uh, I, I felt you know, I felt we were in a decent position, but I also said, oh, let's just hold on. Let's see what the club does at the draft, and then I'll field your question. Kick the can down the road, yep. <laughs> <laughs> right on cue, he's come back, and he's made me face the music. Uh, yes, I believe it is more clear um it'll take time that's all you just need to be patient with it uh the fact is i was very pleased with what the club did at the draft they seem to look at the talent and and the the dna the makeup of this talent as footballers they they identified the things that i was identifying when i was looking over uh the draft crop and and looking for particular traits like uh, speed and agility were two big ones uh, I feel like we ended up with a few players that have that in spades. So I have to believe that in, <laughs> it could be pure coincidence. Are they following the Nick Mason plan of rebuilding Hawthorne? I don't know. I'm just putting it out there, guys. Just putting it out there. Ash, is this a, uh, a re-stumping like uh, Ross Lyon famously said? Actually, he was pretty good in the media. You picked that pretty early on. He was very good in the media. Um, I think they... I think they've worked out that they've got a fair bit of work to do with the list. They're not even trying to pretend anymore that they're in premiership mode. And if they, if all, if everything lined up, they could, they could sneak a premiership. I think they they understand that's not the case now. I think it's a two to three year proposition. I think they've positioned themselves nicely for next year's draft. I think they've got a first and two seconds. That's right. Yeah. They've got Collingwood's second round pick as well. So that potentially, if Collingwood fall, take a, a step back, that's three picks inside thirty. That's a very good starting point to continue the build. They probably only need to go to next year's draft and then think after that they can start being contention again after that under Coach Sam Mitchell. <laughs> so that's it? You're calling time on Clarko? I am calling time on Clarko. I think he will be, I think, end of 2022. I think you'll see out his contract and that might be – he may go one more year. They may go down the public announcement for 12 months of a, of a, of a plan. And they may might do 2023 with um, Mitchell as his senior assistant. Does he go on to uh, coach elsewhere or? Clarko. There's three teams, Clarko. There's three clubs, Clarko, I could see coach. Well, actually, I would now say four as a result of the news that broke just before we started recording this podcast that Eddie's finishing up at Collingwood at the end of uh, next year. Having said that, I think Melbourne's got some builder Clarko. He's got some strong ties to that club and he's very close to the Vineys and um, Gary Lyons and those sort of guys, and he was a mate of Jim Steins. So he'd feel that, that he could be tapped on the shoulder by the AFL to, to go to the Giants to sort them out. He could go to Gold Coast. Well, I think Stuart Dew's there for a while now. Um, and the other one, that maybe now he just the, the, the sexiness of Collingwood, the big club that is Collingwood, um, might have some appeal as well. But I, I don't, you know, if, if, you, if I was to bet on what Clarkson's next move would be, I would say it'd be a high-performance role in another sport that's not the AFL. Go work for the Australian Olympic Committee as a high-performance coach, something like that. Well, he's uh, he's tapped out though, isn't he? He's not. There's not many, you know, coaches that are going to win more than four premierships, so we might as well move him on now. <laughs> Statistically speaking, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
He's still the best person. But as I said earlier, you just look at Sam Mitchell's. I think Hawthorne's investing too much into Sam Mitchell. To the, I don't think they're fat in the calf for another club. No. And the other thing, no, Mitchell was not laid off during the uh, downtime. He, he, the other coaches were, were stood stood down, but Mitchell was still on staff. So I just think he's, I just think it all looks too much like he's the heir apparent. Tell you what, the um, the sentence, the sexiness of Collingwood is going to haunt me. Uh, anyway, we move <laughs> on to uh, this question from Toilet Duck. Uh, g'day, Toilet Duck. I love your work. Uh, what kind of season do we expect from Patton? Kind of already touched on this, but we'll press on. Uh, are there any tactical surprises predicted from Clarko and the coaching panels? Which team do we think will be a challenge next year outside the top four from this season? So we've got a, a bit of a cluster of questions there. What do we expect from Patton? I think we're unanimous in saying a lot, all three of us, by the sounds of it. We expect more than we got uh, in 2020 from him. Yeah. He would know that as well. He's not. Uh, I mean, he's a, he's a smart guy. He'd be really disappointed with the season he put in last season. And uh, he'll he'll want to atone, as I said. I'd like to have seen him pop his head into training uh, last week or Monday as we record this. But uh, he'll know he's under a bit of pressure this year. Yeah, no, he would be frustrated with himself. I mean, one of the enduring images, uh, one of the sad ones for mine from this season was uh, uh, Patton standing at the race in tears, just absolutely shattered. And uh, that is a guy who so desperately wants to do well. Um, so I hope he turns it around. Uh, let's see the next question here. Any tactical surprises predicted from Clarko and the coaching panels? Not playing McAvoy down back? Or are we going <laughs> to persist with that one? I don't know what else they've got up their sleeve. Um, I'm going to predict in good time it's all about speed, but for now I'm finding it difficult to know what else they're going to do. Well, if they can get Lewis and Patton in that same forward line, that'd be ideal. That might be the thing that they need to finally realise what they wanted to do. I got the sense that was part of the one of the pieces of the puzzle that was missing, and one of the ones that would have worked quite well at the G. So I think you might be onto something there. Well, then you got so much room for Gunston, yeah. I think it's intuitive to look at how they played against Gold Coast. The other matches I've studied closely in terms of how they look next year would be the St Kilda game and the Port Adelaide game, when they were really competitive against good teams. You have to go back and, and, and watch them again over the summer and to get a feel for it, but maybe they showed some elements there of, of how they want to play the footy going forward. So I it's I have no real inkling to technically how to do things differently. I'd like to make, to make it work with Lewis and Patton in the same forward line. can't see it working with Gunston. And with uh, O'Brien as well, I, I don't sense yeah, they can get all four to, to work in the forward line. So that's what I'm looking forward to seeing next year. The back line sort of got a lot of options, but I'm not quite sure how they structure up the forward line. Back line, I'm not so worried about. Midfield, I have concerns about. And the forward line is about, <laughs> well, a long way behind where I thought it would be uh, about this time last year. But anyway. I want to get Ash's thoughts on our ruck line because they seem, they seem to be telling everyone they're happy with it uh, going forward. If they're happy, oh, yeah, I'm not sure they believe that they're happy with it. Uh, yeah, it's, it was a disappointment. McAvoy, you know, it's great relieving the back line. Still Hawthorne's best ruckman. Segal was a big disappointment last season. He, he just, attend, again, tends to get injured that little bit too often. He's just, he's not durable enough for me. Um, Brooksby's just break glass in case of, of emergency. And Reeves, it's, apparently he's filling out, but uh, I have no visibility as to what he's like. And you don't know with a guy like Reeves where they're not playing any footy of note, like, except for silly scratch matches in the Harps. I'm not sure how much benefit it would have been for Reeves not playing last year. So it, it's a mess. I don't, don't know. We're going to see you at Box Hill City Oval next year, Ash, checking out what's coming through. I actually said to the Golden News boys, I said, um, 
when Mitchell got a point, I said, I make my Box Hill City Oval debut. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I've been there once for a game of footy. It was, a, it was an amateur grand final. So that's the only time I've been to Box Hill to watch the game. But if Sam Mitchell's coaching Box Hill, rest assured, I'll be uh, I'll definitely be at a game to, to, to listen to great man talk. So One more than Cyril. <laughs> yes, Cyril. <laughs> Cyril that, well, I wonder whether Will Day will ever play at uh, Grace Box Hill. Yes. Yeah. That's true. Not bloody likely at this point. Hasn't played the MCG yet, Will Day. <laughs> no, he's still, yeah, he's still got the MCG to come. Can't wait for that. All right, we should probably return to um, the, the other bit of Toilet Duck's question here. Which team do you think will be a challenge next year outside of the top four from this season? I'm going to nominate St Kilda. Yeah, I think Ruffy's mob are looking pretty good for next year. I think they, uh, their premiership window is almost ajar, which will be insufferable for me, given that most of my friends and family actually St Kilda supporters. But I actually would, if it wasn't going to be Hawthorne, I'd like to see St Kilda win it. I think the Dogs will be a pretty good team next year as well. I think uh, they came on quite well to, towards the end of last season. Um, and it's nice Sam Lloyd's retired, which I found interesting. He retired today, which is a bit surprised when a guy retires after the uh, all the drafts and what have you in the, in the trade period. But um, I think they'll be a good team as well. Yeah, the dogs look imminent, um, but I have to say Frio will, will be the ones that really hit their straps next year. It's just a mantra I've got. <laughs> your, your faith in Frio is a renewable resource that I don't quite understand. Because <laughs> you're not exactly, you weren't exactly a fan of Ross, so I know it's not that. I just feel like he he, he stunted their growth for so long that surely something has... Green shoots, Nick. Green shoots. <laughs> well, that's going to come back to bite me as always. Uh, anyway, yeah, there you go. Saints, dogs, they're the, they're the ones we're tipping to uh, to come along in leaps and bounds for season 2021, if not Hawthorne. Uh, we heard from Stephen at Hawk Talk Pod. Henry Walsh, Caelan Lane and Max Heath. They're all Ruckman and they all missed out on getting picked up in the draft. You'd have to think if Reeves doesn't play seniors next year or at least start dominating for Box Hill, his papers will be stamped. The name can only get you so far. Uh, I have a few thoughts on this one, guys. Uh, what do you reckon? Well, if they're under-18 players and the NAB League's becoming an under-19 competition next year, better off they develop in the NAB League at someone else's expense and on someone else's watch than under yours, and you can re- revisit it next year, surely? <laughs> it's delightfully diplomatic. I like that very much. I, I personally don't think... Reeves is going anywhere because there's just no competition for his age profile at Hawthorne. Uh, I mean, if you suddenly get rid of him off the list, where's the future for Hawthorne's ruck stocks? There's just no one there. So the fact that we didn't pick anyone up means that for the foreseeable future, I believe at least, Reeves is staying put. He, he literally can't drop off the list. It'd be madness if he did. And we can't really have an opinion on him yet because we haven't really seen him play out a whole game in the ruck or, or really do much. Um, so he'll, he'll get a couple more years at least, I'd say, with, with his physique. You don't give up on ruckman that easily. You just let him develop. You know, he, they, can go, they can be like quarterbacks in the NFL sometimes. They can go three or four or five years as a backup before they get their opportunity. And I think that's going to be the case. There's no hurry. There's no competition for him. Um, yeah, I, I reckon it be 2023 before he probably plays senior footy a touch of the pit nets pit net at least had some exposed for but uh he's the son of the chief executive they, 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 the clamps might be a bit tighter i think than, uh, <laughs> than was, for, was for pitto yeah could maybe dip into the purse just a little bit deeper i think so uh now we heard from dino uh, at hawk talk pod which former hawk does denver granger barris compare to uh now i guess we're talking defenders obviously 
Uh, so what do you reckon, guys? I think uh, well, the, the touch, might be touched with Chris Mew about him. He's the new Mew. The new Mew, but we need some rhyming slang because going for Chris Mew is one of the great pieces of rhyming slang. So <laughs> Denver, Granger Barace, he's got to come up with a bit of rhyming slang. Then, then he will be the equal of Chris Mew. <laughs> Something to work on in the off-season for us. Uh, We heard from View from the Nosebleeds. How do we fit seven halfback flankers into the side next year? We have Scrimshaw, Hardwick, Day, Impey, DGB, of course, Greaves, and Jeff. And that's not including Frost and Hardigan, of course. I mean, credit to View from the Nosebleeds. He's identified that we do have a surplus, an excess even, of uh, halfback flankers there. Yeah, not sure how they're going to stack up. Because they don't all play at the same time. Between injuries and form, there's always a couple missing. I'm not sure GF, and we're all excited by CJ. I'm not sure he's best 22 at the moment. He needs to uh, do a bit better with the ball in hand, I think. Um, so they'll work it out. I mean, there's potential to play one or two of them further up the ground. We'll talk about Hardwick before maybe going back and playing as a swingman, playing, playing forward from time to time. They've got a few options. I'm not overly concerned about the number of, uh, you know, that they'll play some position. I've got faith they'll work it out. You do have some flexibility in those names that we mentioned. I mean, the first name that springs out to me is Impey. I could see him easily transition to a wing or even pop up in the forward line if need be. So, I mean, that gives us options there. I'm not that worried. I think you talk sense, Ash, because, you know, with injuries and form issues and that sort of thing, it all shakes out in the end. It'll be manageable. It'll be more manageable than than on paper than it seems right now. And if you have a few options off the half-back line, it, it's fantastic for the side because you could distribute it far easier. It, they can't lock you down as much coming out of that back 50. Um, it's the most important role in a team at the moment. Certainly the way footy's been played. Now look at the rule changes as well. They're going to bring in for next season. Um, you know, Ball usage out of the back line, smart, creative play and players or a premium, so they've got a few of those to, to sort of choose from now, Hawthorne. I wouldn't mind a bit of experimentation either, because, I mean, this is the year to do it. We're trying to build something. We're trying to find the, the cohort that can bring us forward, and uh, I wouldn't mind seeing a bit of rotation through there throughout the season just to work out, you know, who are the guys? Who are the guys that we can lean on? Who are the dependables? I, I think we I think we already have an idea about a few of those names. Uh, more trust in some than others, but we really need to solidify that, and I think we will. Uh, we heard from Enns. Not sure if he can answer this. I was surprised at the way Frawley departed. Do you think this might have added to the decision of Name Redacted to join that mob instead of re-signing with the HFC? Enjoy your breaks, and thanks to all of you for your respective podcasts this year. Well, thanks so much, Enns. Good question. I, I, don't know if was, I think we said it earlier. I think Frawley was just, if he really wanted to go around again, he probably would have gone around again. I suspect with the reduced salary, uh, with the reduced TPPs for next season, Hawthorne probably made him some sort of offer for another 12 months and he thought at that price it's probably not worth my while. Also, getting a feeling the team, the club need to regenerate uh, its defensive stocks anyway. I don't think that played to Isaac Smith leaving. I think Isaac Smith, just saw an opportunity, and I'm not sure whether Jordan Lewis might have had a word in his ear or listen to Jordan Lewis on uh, 361 night, strongly encouraging, I thought, to uh, to try life elsewhere because he, he tried and obviously quite liked it. He's 32, whatever it is, chance to play another premiership. And, you know, as much as, you know, he he, he loves the Hawthorne Footy Club and I'm convinced he does. He saw a better chance to, if you've got two more years, why not play it at, uh, and, and try and get another premiership in the kit bag? So that's why, I think that's why Smith went. I saw a lot of commentary when he signed Geelong that 
why you know he, he's not suited to Cadinia Park. Well, that's true. They didn't get him for Cadinia Park. They got him for the MCG. They got him for, where the ground they fall down most on is the MCG, and they got him for. And as we saw in the two games Hawthorne played this year at the MCG, as we've seen many years in the past, Smith was one of Hawthorne's best in both the Brisbane and the Richmond game. I think might even got three votes in the or close to three votes in the Richmond game. He's tailor-made for that ground, and that's why they got him, because he'll, he'll be a difference maker for them when they come to Melbourne, and they've got to play Collingwood, they've got to play Hawthorne, they've got to play Richmond on, on the MCG in September. Uh, that's when he'll come into play for them. So it's a, that's why it's a shrewd pick-up. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be interesting. Uh, we just heard at the AGM that um, uh, it's all but confirmed there will be an Easter Monday clash. It will be Geelong's home game, uh, apparently. Um, so that's one for the calendar. I mean, it always is. But Isaac Smith running around in different colours, that is going to be quite a surreal and unnerving sight. And I hope we can... Uh, well, would it be bitter of me to say that I hope it comes down to the final kick of the game and he has it and sprays it a little much? You know he'd kick it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the 80,000 Hawthorne members are agreeing with you, I think, that he sprays it left or sprays it right. It's a shame it's not a Hawthorne home game. That would have been, uh, would have been a bit of extra touch. You know, he's... Uh, uh, strewn towards the uh, Putt Road goals when it's all Hawthorne people, but uh, <laughs> be enough Hawthorne people there anyway to make it a pretty special day. Uh, we move on. Uh, this one's for you, Ash, from AFL for fans. Hawthorne keep Ross on the list for 2020, but there was no VFL, and we did not play him at AFL level, and then we cut him. Is there more to learn about the reasons for his departure? Look, I just think it's uh, it's just unlucky. It fell through the cracks a bit. A combination of you know, there were other players in his spots. No real VFL foot, no proper second-tier football in 2020 for him to to display his wares. It was just those sort of hit and giggle scratch matches where he might have been playing half a game for in another team's colours. 17-game season instead of 22. Had it been 22, they might have found, you know, and with the season going down the toilet, I suspect they would have found a game or two from towards the end of the season to have a look at him. Um, TPP cuts. So just a whole uh, whole lot of little things, I think, conspired against. A bit like Harry Jones as well, just uh, unlucky. You know, he's been signed with Sandringham. You know, I'd be surprised if he ended up back in the AFL system down the track. I certainly don't blame him for not playing for Box Hill, but I think, uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think it'll be a huge loss for. Him. I don't think we'll be regretting leaving. Just unlucky. Do you think there'll be many players that make it back into the AFL system after being cut for COVID? Well, it's not sure. Not, they haven't decided the list sizes back to 2022. I suspect suspicion is that the CBA will revert back to normal in 2022, and the cuts for next season are just a one-off because of COVID. But then you have got the complicated system next year, where that NAB league becomes an under-19 league, so you're going to have sort of 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds fine to get onto lists. So they're the ones that are going to be uh, they're the ones that are going to be top of the pile for next for the draft at the end of next season. I'm not sure there's going to be a whole lot. The retreads are going to absolutely have to bash down the door and have these super seasons, and it just doesn't happen too often. We move on to our final question of this very special edition of the Hawk Talk podcast from Owen. This this one's also for you, Ash. Interested to hear the thoughts of Hash Brown. That's your Twitter handle, of course, on how much the restrictions placed on training affected our continuity this year and whether that changes anything going forward. The theory being that with teams relying heavily on system more so than sheer talent would suffer more. It's a really good question. That that was absolutely the case this year, not just for Hawthorne, mind you, but a lot of the teams had the same um, issue. Training at one stage in the year, they it was something on the lines of it's in the book. Uh, it was 
when they came back to training, it was small groups. They could have two full ground sessions a week with contact before the games resumed. Then it moved back to one full ground contact session a week when the games resumed. And then they had a minus, I think around the time of Conor McKenna um, scare, they stopped, they, they banned contact to training. So really, you just do this end-to-end stuff. And without contact, uh, these, these brief full, full ground, you know, one training session a week, you've got a lot to get through. John Longmire told me they were doing 10 minutes of match sim sometimes in that one session a week without contact. So, of course, it's going to, uh, it's going to constrict how you can go about um, developing your systems and your set plays, fixing mistakes. Sometimes you want to get out there and have two full sessions. Sometimes if you've got you know, a nine-day break between games, clubs can have two really good contact sessions and work through some kinks and trials, trials and things. When you've got four or five days between games and virtually no contact and no full-ground training, not a lot you can do. It just became maintenance. It just be, footy in 2020 for a lot part of the season was was play, wind down, recover, and then get going for the, and then prepare for the next game with that sort of proper training. So, and I think Hawthorne, you know, as I said, affected all teams, some more than others, but I think my understanding Hawthorne found that very restrictive this year. So that makes it sound like Hawthorne could have a real big uptick next year if they get there, because we're such a systems-based model. We should be pretty positive about the coming year. If you, on the evidence of last season, and again, I'm not about to come out and say Hawthorne are going to make the finals. I don't, I don't think they will. I don't think they're talented enough to make the finals next year. But I think we saw in the Brisbane game, the Richmond game, that they actually were working towards a plan. Yeah, and that's when it worked. Yeah. And it worked. And then suddenly they didn't have another game in the MCG where they played roughly half their game. So I think that they will benefit enormously. I mean, we know, what do we know about Clarkson? He's a fantastic coach. So I think they'll benefit enormously from regular training sessions and full ground drills and contact and what have you. That's another reason why I think they'll be better than they were this year. Because um, I just think you know, they were hit for six. Them and Collingwood, I think, you know, like Collingwood had a really hard draw. But I think Hawthorne almost, Hawthorne had a, hard, a really hard draw. And just so many factors conspired games and that makes me think I'll be better in 2021. And I think the, the training will be part of that. Well, all this has me very excited for your book, Ash, because when it comes out, I imagine it's going to shed a lot of light on the uh, the mechanics and the particulars of the season that was, a season like none of us have ever seen before. So hit us with your plug. Remind us again uh, what the book's about and when it's going to come out. Uh, it has no name yet. So I can't tell you that. It has no release date yet, other than it'll be probably around March before the start of the season. It will be available through Hardy Grant Publishing. So if you hit up the Hardy Grant website some stage in the new year, hardygrant.com, I think it is, uh, I'll have some details. I'll obviously be uh, flogging the living suitcases out of it on my social media feeds <laughs> as well when I've got bits of news. But uh, it comes out next year. It'll be, uh, it, it's been really enjoyable to write. I've had some wonderful access and wonderful conversations with a lot of the big, uh, big names in the game who've made themselves available. And I think people will be really intrigued not just about life in the hubs, but also it's ancient because so much happened in 2020. We forget what those two weeks were like in March when we went from COVID. I, you know, I think we're going to be okay to the season being postponed. Really, a lot happened in those sort of two weeks, which I've gone into a fair bit of detail about with some really good insights as to the sort of conversations that people all, all around the game were having. So that's what I'm looking forward to telling. That's what I'm looking forward to telling 
uh, when the book comes out next year. And of course, all of our listeners, Hawks fans everywhere, they'll be very familiar with your writing. You're a very talented writer, so it's something we very much look forward to. Of course, we can catch you uh, with the AFL record as well, SEN, Golden Years podcast. I hope that's coming back for next year. Uh, well, we hope it is too. I haven't sort of done the deal with the club yet. Not that there's much a deal. We record it and they publish it. But um, <laughs> we... Uh, I think they want us to come back. We've got a lot of games that left in the system um, that we haven't got to. A lot of premierships, in fact, we haven't discussed yet. And some names were still on our list. Shane Crawford, if you're listening. And also, um, and a few guests we had, I think were really good value that we want to get back as well. So, uh, yeah, we've got plenty of ideas for next year. And Andrew and Darren, uh, I've I've had a great time working with them this year. And also you guys um, are the first emergencies next year. So, there will be times when one of us can't do it. You guys can have a duel at Glenferry <laughs> Oval and uh, whoever comes outstanding can come out and be our guest host. You, that open invitation for both of you next year. Am I too plugged into our podcast, Tiz, when I hear that, a duel at Glenferry, and my first thought is, oh, that's good content. <laughs> <laughs> That'll go viral. That's good. <laughs> and it's uh, it's 60 years since the first premiership next year, so... That'll be a big thing for the club. So it is, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, they're starting to fade away, the 61 team, and uh, it's a bit sad, obviously, with Kanga passing away this year, and I think it might have been one or two others as well. So, But they make a big deal of the anniversaries, Hawthorne, and they'll, I'm sure they'll do something special. Um, a couple of big MCG games next year. Hopefully they'll, the 61 team will be on it at a game, and Sean Burgoyne, if the draw works out, should also have a very special occasion for a milestone game as well. Clearly, ours is a club with a very proud history and uh, Golden Years hopefully will be back to to cover even more of it. Now, as for our show, if you you have enjoyed this show, this episode, if you do love it, uh, jump on Apple Podcasts and rate us, leave a review, that'd be great, and and Twitter as well, uh, sort of our social media HQ, at Pod. The climb towards 2,500 followers is underway. Facebook, we're building all the time over there as well, facebook.com slash hawktalkpod. Uh, Instagram, Tiz, that's the new one for us on the social media landscape. You having fun with that? Oh, well, you're having a lot of fun. I'm just stalking hawkers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a lot of me digging up uh, memes from the past year where I'm like, I have a place to put them now. They have some great holidays, though, some of these players. Oh, that's true, actually, yeah. Really uh, a strange level of access that you wouldn't have even imagined growing up. It's uh, <laughs> you, you know almost far too much about what the uh, Hawkers are up to. Anyway, that's Instagram for you. Search for us, Hawk Talk Podcast. And, of course, uh, the big one, uh, patreon.com slash hawktalkpod. Jump on there if you want to support the show. If you want to sling us a buck, two, more than that, it's completely up to you. Uh, You'd be doing us a great favour. And I just want to say as well, this has been a a very difficult year um, and it's not lost on us the importance of your support. Uh, All our subscribers out there, you should know, like you make a huge difference in uh, contributing to this podcast and... uh, just generally how we go to go about our business it really means a lot and uh we we very much appreciate it on behalf of all your listeners your, your subscribers what have you uh well done to you guys for a great year uh not easy talking about a team that was just so ordinary for so much of the year so uh, you bring <laughs> you managed to bring some some light to uh what was a, a bleak year at times and uh the the time and effort and love you put into podcasts is uh, terrific and I'm certainly appreciated by so many Hawthorne supporters 
So well done to you guys. Well, I really appreciate that, Ash. And I want I want to take this moment also to extend a thanks to my co-host, um, who has been amazing this year. Like like I said, this has been an incredibly challenging year on a number of fronts, not least of which the team's performance has not <laughs> always made it a joyride or anything like that. But uh, yeah, this has been uh, it's been tough. But one thing that has made it uh, incredibly rewarding is getting to do this show where we've kept it alive. We've really stuck it out. And a big reason for that is how much fun I have with my co-hosts. So thanks for that, Tiz. Oh, thanks, Nick. Yeah, these are the lighter moments this year for sure. Some of the brightest spots have been hosting the podcast and also the reaction from everyone else. And 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 just about winning that game against Port, I think that was pretty good too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, geez, is that what we've become? We're celebrating almost wins? Come on. <laughs> it's a little bit sad, okay. No, nah, I mean, the takeaway from all this is I, I, my thoughts do wander to the fact that uh, we're talking about the family club, and I think there's a bit of that in the DNA of this podcast. It's me, it's you, Tiz, and it's Ash, you've been a friend of the show for a long time, and you're very, uh, very great and generous with your time and giving it to us and jumping on here. But it's the community at large as well. I'm really proud of what we've built, and uh, the community has been a massive part of making this year uh, rewarding in spite of, uh, well, against all odds. It's been a rough one. But we're here, we're supporting Hawthorne, we're excited for 2021. Uh, so high hopes indeed uh, gentlemen thank you very much as we look to sign off thanks guys uh, happy Christmas happy Hanukkah and we'll see you at the footy in uh, 2021 very much look forward to it season's greetings everyone we are a happy team at Hawthorne